0: Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. I'm Eleanor Balon,
1: And I'm Jay Katanis. This season, we're exploring Filipino-American Christian experiences from a variety of perspectives.
0: Thanks for joining us.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special season of Centering the Asian American Christian Podcast. This is your co-host, Gabriel J. Catanis, and I'm joined by our Director of Formation, Eleanor Baylong. Hello. And we're excited about this season because we get to shed some light on the Filipino American Christian community and ministry and identity in that context. So before we get into some of our very special guests for this season... Our wonderful producer, Jason, thought it would be wise for us to introduce ourselves and also a bit about our work at the Filipino American Ministry Initiative, also known as FAMI. So I thought I would first ask these introductory questions to Eleanor, our Director of Formation. And Eleanor, would you start us off by introducing yourself, giving us you know your name, location, a bit about what you're doing, and maybe most importantly, why you're doing those things for FAMI.
0: Absolutely. Hello, everyone. And thank you, Jay and Jason. Like Jay just mentioned, my name is Eleanor and I am currently living in the Pasadena area, although I'm originally from San Bernardino. So shout out to my Inland Empire and 909ers. (laughs) So yes, SoCal born and raised. And I have the privilege this year of helping FAMI with leading the formation groups as the director of formation. And so what that means is that um, I will be helping uh, lead these 10-week cohorts where I'll re- get to meet with the people who are in ministry or are just interested in ministry or are interested in themselves and learning more about what it means to be Filipino and their identity and how their faith might play a part in that. And uh, I think at the heart of these formation groups is kind of the why of of why I'm doing this and why this feels like a passion project for me is because I think that Filipino have, people have so much to offer. And I mean, I just have met so many world changers that come from my background, come from my same from my people. And I think that we just need to resource that and resource the people that are out there changing the world. And so, I want my people to be resourced with an understanding of their history, of what it means to be Filipino, and uh, how to lead out of the fullness of their identities. Uh, so that's, mm. that's my big passion for what I'm doing. Yeah, I don't know. How does that sound? Is there anything else you'd like me to share? Anything I didn't cover?
1: It sounds wonderful, and I'm sure a lot of other things will come up along the way. Yeah, we're really grateful to have you on board, Eleanor.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm grateful to be on board.
1: Yeah, I am Gabriel J. Catanis. Folks call me Jay. I'm here in Chicago. I couldn't call out the area codes because they keep changing.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> and I'm serving as the director of FAMI. That means that I'm giving overall leadership and guidance to our initiative and getting to work alongside Eleanor. Part of my work is to organize October's events because October is Filipino American History Month. We've got a special... Mm-hmm. Chapel service, uh huh, and webinars and speakers that we are planning to put up. And in addition to this special season of the Centering podcast, we'll be hosting monthly community Zooms and hopefully also in different formats, bringing resources and teaching to people in ministry. So I think if I were to answer the question of why I am so excited about this work, it would be. That as a pastor who's been in the Filipino American context for his whole life, seeing all the challenges that face people doing ministry Mm. in our community, one thing that I've always desired is resources. And whether that's books or articles or podcasts like this, you know, there are a lot of great things right now that are out there and available about Filipino-American identity and studies. But, you know, when it comes to pastoral ministry or ministry and leadership in a spiritual community, there really is not a lot out there. So I'm excited to work with Eleanor and together to build community, uh, building community among folks who really feel those needs and are wanting to be part of answering those needs. Eleanor. Do you want to share a little bit about your history with ministry, like leading up to now?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So my history, my ministry background um, is that I worked with Varsity USA for um, about a decade straight out of undergrad. I went to UC Santa Barbara and was involved as a student there. And then just God was leading me to, to keep on with the organization and I'm so glad that that happened because it was really through that organization I started my cultural identity journey Mm. um, and got to understand what does it mean for me to be Filipina uh, American. And that started to happen when I started hanging out with other Filipina Mm. (laughs) Americans. I was like, oh, like your family navigates conflict like that too? Or (laughs) like you guys also love the Lakers, you know, like with with bloody loyalty. Okay. Maybe not maybe not everybody. But um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, there were just different things where I was, the more I was hanging out with other Filipinos, I said, oh, like, that's, that's not just my family, maybe there's something there about what it means to be Filipino. And so, you know, I mean, sometimes it did lead to bigger cultural revelations, sometimes it didn't. But nevertheless, it still helped me to understand uh, different things about my family Mm -hmm. nuance. So that's, a margin that mm. I just always like to add mm-hmm. um, because it was fun to hang out with other Filipinos. But one of the conferences that I got to do with Inner was the A Couple Leadership Institute. I think that was in 2016. Um, we were at UC Berkeley or in the Berkeley area, and we had gathered uh, Filipino leaders. Um, they were all college students, um, and we gathered them from around the country to join in Berkeley and to. Um, learn about what does it mean to be a Filipino leader uh, up and coming. And so I got to be there. I helped lead worship at that conference, but I also got to speak um, on a panel. And Jay happened to be on that panel as well. And so that was when we first met. Was was that 2016? Yes,
1: it was. And a mutual friend of ours who invited me, uh, David DeLeon, who was formerly on staff with InterVarsity, was helping to lead that gathering. And he's got a book coming out soon that he co-authored with some others called Learning Our Names. And there was a great panel this past May 2022 organized for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month that introduced us to the authors of that book. So if folks want to check that out, I would totally encourage you to do that. Yeah, so Eleanor and I have known each other for about 6 years now. And I think that that is surprising to some people that we're actually already friends, but it makes it a lot easier for us to kind of come in, even though we have very different paths, which has also been cool to to discover. Okay, so Eleanor, I'm going to ask a little bit more about your own journey in terms of, you know, tell us about yourself and your academic journey into being in the specific field that you're in, but also about, you know, your family uh, in the Philippines, where they're from and if at all, how that has shaped your own vocational journey.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think all of our families shape our journeys. Um, I, my parents immigrated to the US from the Visayas. Uh, they're from like a small island a couple hours away from Cebu. And, you know, I think like a lot of families who, you know, who immigrate to the States, um, they really t- tell you about like potential and, and like the importance of education. And so when I decided to work for InterVarsity, they were very confused because they were like, why are you sure. asking for money? Sure. Yep. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm fundraising. It's a thing. But yeah. yes, I mean, I was, I was following the Lord and they eventually started to understand and give me support because they're, they, they tried to be as loving as they could to me. And so I think eventually I, while I was working for um, I realized that uh, there were a lot of things on the college campus that I wasn't really able to address um, or felt under to address. I mm. felt like I had to be more of a social worker if I wanted to help some of these students more effectively. Mm. And so I actually started taking classes at my community college um, in San Bernardino towards social work. But I soon realized that you have to be a very gritty, very strategic and heart like hearty person to be a social worker so shout out to all the social workers uh, out there Um, but I realized I was like I don't know if this is quite like my spirit and so just ended up deciding that um, psychology was more my thing and I decided Hmm. to go for um, my doctorate because I wanted to add to the literature for Filipino American psychology Um, there was when I first was looking into things like there was some literature out but I really wanted to know more about like positive religious coping and um, depression in Filipinos. Hmm. And so that's where I find myself now the proposal or my dissertation that I'm actually going to propose next Tuesday wow. one week from now hey, hey. which is today yeah that would be July 12th. I yeah that's, that's my proposal. I'm trying to create a group therapy curriculum that is culturally informed um, for Filipino Americans. Um, that tries to improve different things that we'll probably talk about uh, sometime, but talks about colonial mentality mm. and improving kapwa and just like a feeling of belonging, yeah. and also increasing uh, positive religious coping, like reframing bahalatna into something that's less passive and mm. something that's a little bit more um, like about courageous risk taking yeah, and yeah. adaptability. So. More on that to come. I still have to propose the thing. So that sure. might change, but stay tuned. That's my academic journey. I'm currently in my fifth year at Fuller um, Fuller School of Psychology. So I'll have a couple more years to go. But this is, yeah, that's that's where I am. But I, yeah, I mean, Jay, I'd also be interested in hearing like your academic journey. Mm-hmm. You just hit a major milestone in graduating. So I feel like you should tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. I did. I just want to acknowledge something you said that was really profound. You said that uh, all of our families shape our journeys, and I really think that's hugely significant. So hopefully we can come back to that and to many of the other things that, that you said. Yeah, similar to you, my family is also from the Visayas. So that makes us a pretty weird duo, because Neither of us yes. are Tagalog speakers, no. <laughs> and you know the literature of Filipino studies and Filipino American studies almost always draws on Tagalog as kind of the main language. Uh, and for those of us whose families don't speak Tagalog primarily, that's always a real interesting and kind of marginalizing experience. But we would definitely come back to that. So my family is from um, my my father is from Iloilo, which is on Panay Island. And that's right next door to a small, well-known vacation island called Boracay. But it's a major city in the Philippines. And it is also where the American Baptist missionaries first laid down their quote-unquote roots, if you can call those roots. Uh, But when they came in to evangelize the Philippines after the turnover of control from the Spanish to the Americans at the beginning of the 1900s, they came to Iloilo. So they established the Central Philippine University, and through that, of course, a lot of Baptist evangelization took place, and the first nursing school in all of the Philippines was founded. So as we'll probably get to, nursing has a huge place (laughs) in the migration stories of many Filipino-American families, and
0: there
1: are important reasons for that. So we'll come back to that. But yeah, my father's family then have deep, deep connections to Baptist ministry in the Philippines. And I am one of 10 pastors in the family. And most of my family are are Baptist. Um, I belong to the covenant denomination, Evangelical Covenant Church, as it's formally known. And my mother's side, um, not to leave her out, she is from a, a province called Negros Occidental, And so obviously, when you hear the name, that means there were people there who were of dark skin. Uh, And so when you put these two stories together, you get the American and the Spanish colonialism kind of converging in my family's stories. So, yeah, vocationally, as I started to sort out who I am, especially when I was in college, it was a real challenging experience growing up in the suburbs of Chicago in the 80s. And then going to college in the city of Chicago, which is, you know, not really home to a lot of Asian American studies programs at the time, uh, and, and just a very different place from the, the coasts. But in that space, like you, I made friends, very close friends with a lot of other Filipino Americans who grew up similarly. And together, we started to sort out our ethnic identities and our journeys, and tried to figure out how our roots and our origins Made us who we are. So um, I was also making some decisions my family didn't really like right after college.
0: (laughs) Such rebels.
1: (laughs) I stuck to the original plan for a while, which was to go to law school and become a lawyer. And after one semester in law school, I dropped out. Now, I thought my parents would understand that because my parents are both ministry people, lifelong vocational ministry people. But we actually did not speak for three months after I dropped out of law school in order to attend seminary. And it was only in the last couple of years when my parents and I really kind of uncovered what it was that made them so upset. And it turned out that it was really their hope that through going to law school and becoming a lawyer, I would help the family move out of poverty. So when that opportunity was given up after all of their sacrifices to help me through college, uh, that was very difficult for us. So we're, yeah, a kind of a ministry family. And I'm a pastor and a church planter here in Chicago. I pastor a church called Garden City Covenant Church. And while doing that during the pandemic, I also um, led the planting of of this church and doing my PhD at the same time, which was, uh, I don't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: sounds like a lot yeah
1: especially when you're trying to finish the dissertation and defend it in the craziness that we called 2020
0: Mm, wow
1: by god's grace we did it and that was a huge family and community project to get me out of there and so my dissertation was in Filipino American Christian ethics, really looking at what the contributions of our communities could be to the fields of theology and ethics in the United States. Mm-hmm. And right now, I'm working on turning that into a book to be published with Cascade Books. So that's an exciting project that relates to everything we're doing at FAMI. And, you know, I actually want to ask you, Eleanor, about the kind of things that. Um, you have going on outside of fami and outside of fuller Um, so i'm going to begin with a real deep and serious question right what is your favorite filipino comfort food these days and why
0: i don't know it feels too deep Um, (laughs) oh i think my favorite filipino comfort food oh gosh it still has to be my my grandma's bud, blood blood, which i haven't had she passed away um quite quite a few years ago but it's just like this for those who don't know what it is it's a sticky sweet sticky rice dessert that has like mm. notes of ginger and coconut mm. and it's wrapped in a banana leaf and you dip it in sugar mm. and it's just oh it's the best thing <laughs> uh so yeah, I think that that's that's got to be mine. What's yours? It's good. My, I feel like mine is very. I don't I don't know if many people have wood that much, but
1: you know what? I've actually had that. Oh, it is really lovely. good.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, and as you were describing, like, is it just me no. like being nostalgic, or is it actually good? Okay. <laughs> I
1: mean, even folks who haven't had it can know. You said dip it in sugar, so
0: dip it in some sugar. It's gonna
1: be good. Um, so like first I'm, uh, at any time of day I'll eat breakfast and that's also true for Filipino breakfast. So I'm a big silog log person, whether it's longanisa eggs and rice, we call that long silog log right? Or Tostino eggs and rice, tosti Uh, and here, yeah, we've got uh, a really good set of Filipino breakfast restaurants popping up in Chicago. I'll, I'll ask more
0: specifically. Filipino breakfast. You
1: know, it's an interesting development, but it's very Chicago in that way that we love breakfast and brunch food. Also,
0: no.
1: I I really enjoyed hearing about your your journeying, Eleanor. I'm thinking about it because mm-hmm. I think that that is really inseparable from where we are now. Yeah. Something that I've always wanted to ask you because you're in a different line of work, even though we overlap a bit. Is specifically about the challenges you faced as a Filipina American who is in the academic space. And also, even though I think psychologists and the field of psychology are quite progressive compared to other fields, academia is <laughs> always a challenge. So what have been the biggest challenges you faced as a Filipina American pursuing your vocational path?
0: Yeah, it was not an easy decision to come and get my doctorate because of the great financial commit commitment that it is. Mm. So that's something I really had to think through. So that's real putting that. Out. I haven't figured that out. Mm. So <laughs> um, that's that's just something that was difficult. Uh, I think another thing though too was not having many models to look to in terms of what does it look like to be. A Filipino American psychologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are, there is actually a pretty growing uh, community of us, like uh, mental health care workers, mm-hmm. um, starting to grow. And I think through various platforms like Zoom, we're able to see more of each other and mm-hmm. it's a little bit more visible. But for the first several years, I was the only Filipino doctoral um, student in, in our school. I think I still might be, I'm not, I'm not sure, but mm, wow. um, and no, no Filipino faculty. So I really just didn't have that many models. And I think related to that, I would often compare myself to other students in my cohort mm-hmm. who seemed to understand all of the systems, seemed to know what it mean, meant to do research, knew how to get resources for themselves. And for a while, I, it made me feel really like, bad about myself because I was comparing myself mm-hmm. to them, but I didn't realize that they were maybe fourth generation doctors, you know, in their family, like their great-grandparents had earned their doctorates, had been in academia. Um, whereas my family, I mean, I'll just be real, like my parents grew up in a jungle without electricity until they were teenagers, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, like my parents are amazing they really worked hard for what they had, but you know, and it's like, we just had different lineages and I couldn't compare myself to that, but I didn't realize that. Um, So I think that the lack of having models both within the academic world, but also just in general, um, stemming from my family was really tough. Sure. But I think probably the hardest challenge was my internal colonial mentality and imposter syndrome. Mm. Right. Um was just kept wondering, like, am I meant to be here? Am I smart enough to be here? Even when I was going into a room with a patient, I would always think like, oh, I have to put on this, this like veneer, this mask of, oh, I'm the psychologist now, like I'm mm-hmm. the professional provider. And that's that's still true. I'm still the medical provider, but it was it felt I, I didn't know how to do that for the longest time out of what out of who i was Mm -hmm. you know not just as a filipino-american but somebody from the ie as a woman as someone in her 30s you know just all the different layers of my identity you know starting to integrate that and what it meant and kind of taking off this idea of i don't have to be this like image in my head which in my head it's like an old white man Hmm. psychologist because i think that those are the the prototypes we see in the media Mm -hmm. like in stranger Um, things right yeah right um (laughs) Which no spoilers. I haven't gotten to the last season. Okay, yet. My, my bad. But, but I mean, yes. I mean, it's the prototype, and so I think in my head it was it was taking off the prototype in my own mind. That's I think those are probably the top top challenges of being in my role. Hmm.
1: Those are really good. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people who are listening to our conversation will really be able to identify with much of what you're talking about. So thank you for sharing that. you know, you've made it this far and you're nearing the end, you know, very soon you will propose a Mm -hmm. dissertation project. It'll get accepted and you'll write it and defend it and all that.
0: Mm, Yes. You know, claim it.
1: (laughs) So who would you say have been your two or three most important mentors, whether they're inside or outside of the academy?
0: Wow. That's a tough question. Uh, It takes a village to Mm. get someone through a doctoral program. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that one of the most influential people will have to have been um, my spiritual mm-hmm. director. I think that she helped me to stay grounded in just the fact that there's life outside of this wow. program. I think, think some, like a program like this can take up mm-hmm. all of your bandwidth and make you feel like you are the most important person in the whole world, right? I mean, I think like being in in the medical field, like you're helping people and and people can tend to look up to you and put you on that pedestal. And it can get really slippery um if you let that become your where your ego strength Mm. comes from is just uh, my identity is in helping people and being successful Mm. in helping people. And so I think my spiritual director really helped keep me grounded and helped me be aware of when that was happening for me, um, when I was getting my value from what I did as a as a psychologist and or as a training psychologist and, and not like just as a person, as a child made in the Mm -hmm. image of God. Um, that was really, really valuable for me. Um, I I feel, I think she saved my soul on many occasions. Yeah. (laughs) I think another influential person was probably my own therapist. I think everybody should be in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Hot take. I know not, I know not everybody's necessarily into therapy, but it was just really helpful to have that sounding board that third person who um over a period of time could really speak into my life and and have a structure in his head of of like where like how he's watching me develop and as psychologists we 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 say this a lot it's like we are the tools i think the same could probably be Mm, said about pastors as well but we are the tools and so we have to do this work to understand ourselves understand our history understand what our values are like if a client comes in and I'm like why did I respond that way to this person like why was I angry or like why why like why am I attracted to this client like all of this stuff that's like so vulnerable we have to understand it because it's clinically important in some way Um, so my own therapy and just like bringing understanding to myself helping me integrate these different parts Mm -hmm. of my identity even though he's um, not Filipino he's like just like a white guy because he was like being culturally sensitive and and open to my Mm -hmm. journey unfolding. He's just been so instrumental in my personal growth and the support. So those are two that come off the top of my head. Um, I think you asked for three, but those two stand out. So I think I might just pause there for now. Um, That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Did I answer that question?
1: Absolutely. I said two or three. So
0: Okay, great.
1: Those two are wonderful.
0: You see like the like perfect student syndrome like, did I do it right? <laughs> did I answer <laughs> your question right? <laughs> I like that. Class, uh, classic. Yeah, you know,
1: and these are hard questions. So it's funny for me as a pastor to ask you a psychologist a question that kind of makes you feel like you're put on the spot. I'm like, oh, that must have been a really good question if, you know, a psychologist had to think about it for a minute. <laughs> They are. are And I think these are important for folks who are listening because the way that you and I might answer these or that our community might come at these is going to be different perhaps than in other communities or other seasons of the Centering Podcast. You know, I think I've already mentioned that on my vocational path of becoming a pastor, a theologian, a Filipino American theologian Mm -hmm. specifically one of the biggest challenges has absolutely been the financial piece. Yeah,
0: yeah, we can relate on that.
1: You know, uh, one of my friends, Dr. Rachel Bundang, she said that when she graduated, she had to tell everybody she was doctora walangpera. So to translate for folks who don't know, that means doctor with no money. (laughs) Um, But that is tied up in so many other challenges. I think when I was sharing earlier about being in the Midwest, you know, I was actually during my college years president of the Asian American students on my campus of DePaul University, where I went to undergrad. And it was just a real interesting experience to be Filipino American in a tight knit community of Filipino American college students, and yet not having any professors who were long term who are Filipino-American on our campus or in any of the nearby campuses. And you got to keep in mind, Chicago is a very dense city with a lot of colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to theological education, I've heard it said that Chicago has more theological institutions than any other city besides Rome. So you can kind of think about how dense that is with academic people. And yet no Mm Filipino-American theologians, uh, much less you know, professors within driving distance, you know, uh, within just within an hour or two. So that has definitely been a big challenge, carving out uh, who we are and trying to understand ourselves in the sea of Asian-American stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was desiring to grow into this, there was no Asian-American studies major on At DePaul University, there was only a minor because we fought Mm -hmm. for it, but obviously fighting for that meant that it was not an option until I was about to graduate from school. So the closest thing I could get was to be a Chinese studies minor. So I took a year of Chinese language and history, religion, philosophy. I went to China and that was the closest that I could get to learning about Filipino Filipino American Studies. You took what you could get. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that was a real challenge. And in most ways, I think that my entree into Filipino American studies is kind of self-driven, self-taught in a way. Now there are way more resources and voices and people to connect to, which is such an awesome gift. But over the years, you know, that was not always the case. And I think maybe this is related, but my most important mentors, none of them were Filipino American until I finished school. Now, of course, mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge the Filipino American and Filipino elders in the family yeah. and in the community outside of academia who absolutely form people like you and I and probably motivate us to really do what we're doing now. But I think about mm-hmm. I'm gonna name mine because they're they're not all um Spiritual directors and therapists, although the, my therapist for the last 11 years is absolutely one of the people I would say has been an important mentor for me. I won't name him. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, Peter Cha, during my seminary years, well known to a lot of uh, people in, in the university world since he's been in that space and served on the national board there. Korean American theologian and um, sociologist absolutely helped to form me for many, many years. And that has been a huge blessing. After I left my MDiv program at Trinity, I went to McCormick Theological Seminary, a very different school, a mainline Presbyterian school. And there I studied with a Black liberation theologian and Bonhoeffer scholar named Reggie Williams. So Dr. Mm -hmm. Reggie Williams was a huge, huge influence and still is uh, an influence on me. And then I took some courses with a theologian who would eventually be on my dissertation committee named Dr. Miguel Diaz, who was the ambassador to the Vatican. And he's also mm-hmm. a well known Cuban American Catholic theologian. And these folks and my dissertation director, you know, a German born uh, ethicist named Hilla Hocker, none of them were Filipino or Filipina. And yet I think they each really contributed a lot to mm-hmm. my scholarship and my sense of who I am and how it shapes my my work. So one thing that you mentioned that you heard from your spiritual director was that there is a life outside of your program. <laughs> so I wanna ask you about that, you know, because folks are hearing, okay. we have a lot of grad students and academic folks listening who can really closely identify with so much of this stuff. But what what is life outside of academia for you? What are your hobbies? If you could name one hobby or interest outside of psychology world, what would
0: it be? Gosh, only one. Gotta make it good. (laughs) I I feel like music is such a, like just like a too easy of a go-to, but I mean, no denying it. I I've been playing music my whole life and love to sing, is the thing that I do when I am stressed out. So, if you see me in my car, just like raging and singing, uh, I'm stressed. So, you know, uh, buy me some boba or something, or just say a prayer for me as you're walking by. There you go. Um, And if you're ever out in the Pasadena area, and want to hang out, let's do some karaoke together. Ah. But yeah, I'd I would i would have to say singing. Yeah. What genre? Genre? Oh my goodness. Lately I've been into Lizzo. I've been like on a nice Lizo thing <laughs> the past couple of she's months. She's great. But I'm all over. She's so yeah. great. She makes me so happy. But usually my go-to is a lot of like like Broadway, <laughs> Broadway show tunes. Mm. Lots of stuff from the nineties, because I'm a nineties baby through yeah. and through. So
1: that's a voice right.
0: to men where I carry not that I can hit any of those runs but it's fun to, to try so <laughs> let's see are you are you a secret like karaoke person you know is, is singing your thing
1: I am a former DJ but if you had to push me into a karaoke thing I'm not gonna lie I am one of those undercover karaoke all-stars absolutely yes. I'm going for the 100 score <laughs> oh. every time going for it
0: steal the show it's one
1: of those pastors kids things you know you grow up in front of people mm-hmm. singing speaking oh, and yeah. you just kind of inherit that it's a mixed bag though of course
0: <laughs> gotta go all in
1: that's right a family full of performers probably
0: well but what what is your hobby what is your outside just hobby
1: well besides eating which I'm really gifted at I would say <laughs> music is a big thing I don't think I can say it's a hobby anymore I think I gotta grow back into that but I actually, for the same reasons that you might sit in your car and just belt something out, I practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: So grappling, yeah. I don't say I'm a, like a mixed martial artist or a fighter because I don't actually fight people except in sparring and in the class with people who know how to keep you safe and are not actually going to hurt you. <laughs> um, but it, it's just such a great total body experience that like forces me to be present. And I think that's been the real gift of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some people get it from yoga, others, sure. especially folks. I, my loved ones on the West Coast are always cycling because they can. It's
0: the thing out here, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I guess it just, you know, forces you to be present and to pay attention to your breathing and to not think about everything out there, but actually to, to be you. And I think singing can also, and music can also. Do that. So I, I'm a big BJJ person. Um, We've touched on a lot of things, and we will. You know, we actually we won't mention all the names of folks who are going to be on this season of the podcast with us, but we will have at least one musician. We're going to have some theologians, some psychologists. We're going to have some pastors, people with experience in campus ministry, and I think this is a good time as we kind of wind down this episode to just share with our listeners you know what you hope they will gain from journeying with us during this season of the Centering Podcast. So Eleanor would you like to make an appeal to folks or just kind of express your hope as we get into this season for those who would listen?
0: My hope is that People who would listen to the podcast would feel seen and would experience mm, healing. Um, some of the guests that we're going to be having on our show are uh, people in the Filipina, Filipino community who have a lot of awesome stuff to say. Mm. And some are not from the Filipino community or not from that background, but still we're going to draw them into having conversations about what it means to be Filipino. <laughs> and yeah. so... I just think that there's attention that needs to be given to our community. And I hope that people Mm. feel seen. And like I said, I think, I mean, as a psychologist, my number one passion is healing. And so Mm. I just hope that people in being seen also experience healing, get to understand themselves, their families a little bit more, even hopefully by the end of this episode even hearing some of my story some of jay's story mm-hmm. that you all will get to hear a little bit of your story here and so in mm. that experiencing some healing um and just deep understanding so this is i just i went into my therapist voice right now because <laughs> that's I love it. like the soft gentle tone because that's that's just what i want i want this space to be therapeutic so i am also hoping for lots of laughter as well because laughter is the yeah, best man. medicine what about you? Jay? I love that.
1: Thank I you. love what you said.
0: <laughs> In my therapist voice.
1: <laughs> you know, healing though is so important. And I love that you named that because it touches on a reality of our woundedness that we often yes. don't want to think about. And when we will give significant time to something like colonial mentality, mm-hmm. uh, because we have you to also walk us through so much of that including also our guests.
0: Yeah.
1: I just love that you've named that right up front for us because we need that. And I look forward to, to learning and, and growing and healing also. For me, I think in addition to what you've said, I also want for our non-Filipino American listeners to gain understanding of who we are mm-hmm. because absolutely I want for those Filipino American pastors and students and leaders to feel seen like like you said. And I want us to be able to address things that are affecting ministry specifically in our communities. But I know that that means we need to have this conversation together and also in ways that can kind of be accessible to folks who are not coming from the same experiences. Because for us to do ministry in a healthy way that
0: mm-hmm.
1: can lead toward healing. We, we do need partners. We do need others. And the Centering Podcast has a wide range of listeners already. So I'm inviting folks who are listening, who may be curious about Filipino Americans, or they have them in their church or in their campus ministry. And even though they might not identify as such, but they want to love their sisters and brothers from that background, I'm inviting them also to, to walk with us. And to hear us out. And um, I think that's what I would kind of hope. And I think maybe related to that is that folks who will journey with us will also be open to participating in the future. Right now, I just came back from a gathering of Filipino-American theologians actually out at Berkeley after being there six years ago, was finally back out there a week and a half ago. And it's just such a ripe and opportune time for our community to build community or rebuild community and to expand that community, to talk about what's happening in our churches, in our ministries, uh, and even outside of those spaces so that we can together kind of construct and build
0: Mm. and
1: expand and and. Think about the kind of future that we want, not just for ourselves, but to leave to those coming after us, say, like when you were at UC Santa Barbara or I was at DePaul University, you know, there was great stuff there and we would love for the next generation of students and uh, leaders to be able to have even more than what we had at that time. So, okay, last question. I know I said that last time, but this is for real, for real. Okay, you're in SoCal,
0: yes, I am.
1: what is one Filipino American spot or experience in your city that anyone who's visiting must hit up now I know you can pick your city because you, you you're, you've been around a bit for SoCal so name one Mm -hmm. spot and then tell folks why they need to visit that spot
0: uh definitely my living room for karaoke (laughs) all right nice (laughs) Um, well there's uh i mean that's legit that's on the table but uh, i think another great there's like so many great spots in filipino town they just opened up like the the banner uh that says historically yeah town so Big deal. um that's something to see yeah so we can go out there and get some good jollybee red ribbon you yeah, know we could do all of the things <laughs> that's awesome filipino town
1: yeah okay
0: what about those visiting chicago yeah
1: i love that and i do gotta hit that up see that archway um yes so in, in chicago it would be whack if i did not at least mention the michelin award michelin star winning restaurant kasama which is the first Filipino so first Filipino restaurant in the United States, as far as I know, to receive a Michelin star. So that's awesome. And folks got to check that out because I've, I've been there for breakfast and for the pastries, and it is definitely as good as the hype. And as it lives up to the reason for the line being way around the block now, but there is a spot named Uncle Mike's Place that specializes in Filipino breakfast and has for, I don't know, decades. And even though Uncle Mike is a white guy, he's married to a Filipina, he's been making killer sea lugs for decades and you gotta check it out because, okay, this is not a knock at all on Kasama. They're obviously gourmet and won the award, so they deserve it. But when I went there, they they gave me one egg one egg on, oh, my, no. on my on on my my fried <laughs> rice with my tocino and longanisa. Now, it was a great egg, but Uncle Mike's <laughs> is going to be that other place, okay? It's going to give
0: you like six eggs. That's right. <laughs>
1: they're going to send you out some lugao for free, some champorado oh, for free. Oh and then, yeah, they're going to give you two huge eggs with a whole bunch of grease and garlic and sauce oh, yeah. and then a whole ton of meat. And so Uncle Mike's Place, got to check it out. Anyway, Eleanor, I look forward so much to the rest of these discussions and to hearing from our guests and having you guide us through a lot of the work we need to do towards healing. And for all of you listeners, we look forward to being with you again. So listen next time for this special season of the Centering Podcast.
0: Thank you, everyone. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to Centering. The Asian American Christian Podcast.
0: This episode was produced by Jason Chu and edited by Alexander Cathedral with music by Mark Redito.
1: Please join us again next week or browse our archives on your favorite podcast directory. And above all else, we want to remind you that God embraces all of who you are.